0: We've had lots of rocket wars, and I've been part of teams of Joshua Fund uh, staff and even board members uh, taking humanitarian relief into the southern Israeli communities that have been affected, and I've had to run to bomb shelters in the past. But nothing nothing has ever been as terrifying as this one.
1: Rockets streaking across the sky in southern Israel. A terrifying Hamas rocket account firsthand from our very own Joel Rosenberg. And can anything good actually come out of a terrorist hostage situation? Hi, this is Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we're talking with Joel Rosenberg back in Jerusalem uh, to answer those questions. And Joel, you, you had a uh, very scary and uh, sobering and yet strangely you also had an amazing experience uh, in southern Israel where you were reporting live for all Israel news. Uh, you want to tell us about that I, I I know our you know people can check the show notes for the video uh, of what they've just heard uh, a clip of but Joel tell us about that experience. What was it like
0: to be under a rocket attack? Well, it's happened before as uh, over the years, we've had, you know, so many rocket wars, not any as bad and as deadly as this one, but Carl, uh, prior to your coming on board as our, our wonderful executive director, we've had, you know, lots of rocket wars and I've been part of teams of Joshua Fund uh, staff and even board members uh, taking humanitarian relief into uh, the Southern Israeli communities that have been affected. Um, and, I, and I've had to run to bomb shelters in the past, but nothing Nothing has ever been as terrifying as this one. Um, So I was invited by Israel's former ambassador to the United Nations, a friend named Danny Danone. He was bringing a a small group of reporters, but also his main focus was a group of a half dozen uh, foreign ambassadors from Europe and from Africa. He wanted to take them down to the front lines and show them firsthand where these atrocities committed by the barbaric, savage Hamas terrorists where they'd right. happen. So they could see it for themselves. So they could report back to their government's firsthand eyewitness accounts. So, you know, I, I was like, absolutely, I would be honored to come, Danny. And um, you you got an armored car to take us there, right? Yes. <laughs> Flap jackets, you know, bulletproof vests. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay, I'm in. So we went down. And uh, the, the short version, I mean, you, people just uh, saw it or I guess we're about to see it. it it's hard to describe in words what happens because you in, in this particular town of Strote, which is the closest Israeli town to the Gaza border and where a number of Joshua partners are, where I've been there, there, you have less than 15 seconds. Once the emergency sirens activate to get into a bomb shelter or you're at risk of, of being killed. Wow. So, First, they took us to a bus that had been shot up by uh, Hamas terrorists and had killed everybody in the bus and everybody at the bus stop. And it was just it was just a bloodbath. Then they took us to an apartment that had suffered a direct hit by a Hamas rocket and was completely devastated. Fortunately, that family had already been evacuated, Mm. so no one was killed in that attack. But just to see that devastation, we're hearing automatic gunfire on the border, which is just, I don't know, a kilometer away from us. Uh, maybe two. And then uh, they take us to the police station. Now, the police station in Starot was the first place that the terrorists went to early in the morning on Saturday, October 7th. Why? To kill everybody in there in a, in a surprise attack. Mm-hmm. And now there could be no response, right. not no quick response. Then they went up on the roof and started shooting everybody that was coming to respond. So, yeah. Oh now, gosh. it's it was so bad that Israel had to bomb the police station with all the terrorists in it to kill them and wow. stop the firefight. We went there and we were getting a press conference from Danny Danone, the former ambassador. He's a member of Knesset. And the deputy mayor of the city, the mayor was at a funeral. So the deputy mayor was briefing us. He just started briefing us. And the alarms went off. And in Jerusalem, it's it's a siren. hunting siren. Yeah. Up close in these border communities, and and you'll hear it in the video, it says, Seva Adom, Seva Adom, Seva Adom. That basically means uh, red alarm. Right. And and you can see the instant reaction of the deputy mayor. Like, he's been through it thousands of times. So we start running. And what happens? One of the ambassadors, uh, a woman who's uh, maybe five yards ahead of me, she stumbles and face plants right in front of us. Yeah. Now by God's great and everybody else is plowing into the bomb shelter and the bombs are already, the rockets are already exploding over our head, meaning like the iron dome system was taking some of them out, but there was a direct hit right around the mm-hmm. corner. Mm-hmm. But at that mm-hmm. moment, like without losing a step, God just gave me and my TBN Rosenberg report cameraman, just the instinct we kept filming with one hand, but with the other hand, we it's, grabbed the woman's, um, the shoulder harnesses on her wow. bulletproof vest and just yanked her up. Fortunately, she was light and small. We just carried her wow. into the bomb shelter. I, I've i never had the explosions go over quite so close to me yeah. and be trying to save someone's life. Yeah. My heart was like, you know, <laughs> I mean, it was off the charts. Yeah. It was scary. I mean, I, there's no other way to say it. Oh, well, we were Joel, all we were all rattled.
1: Well, we we saw the video and immediately, you know, you shared it with us at the board and the, and some of our key staff and such. And then we we you know, I just said immediately, let's pray. Uh, of course, by that, at that moment, obviously, everything had been, you know, settled down. But the fact that we could see visibly and hear visibly the frightening reality of being under a missile attack while they're screaming and screeching across the sky and thunderous booms. Meanwhile, the camera is is trying to capture, in you know, not with a fluid, smooth motion, <laughs> but with that herky-jerky It wasn't uh, a steady Yeah, it wasn't a Steadicam. It, was, it was a... Sprint to the bomb shelters. And Joel, I have to say, you know, seeing uh, everybody assembled in the bomb shelter gave me uh, just a great sense of, wow, thank you, Lord, for providing these uh, in different spots uh, in a civic place. And and, and Sid wrote, you see them every few hundred yards. I mean, imagine in American cities, there's people listening, that every few hundred yards there is a civic bomb shelter.
0: Less less than, I would say, Maybe 30 or 50 yards. I mean, yeah. every bus stop yes. is a hardened bomb shelter with, you know, obviously it has to be open on one right. side, but that side is the side opposite of the of of, of Gaza. The side right. on the Gaza side is in reinforced concrete. What right. we happened to be in was not a normal, you know, that's the classic uh, bomb shelter. If you hear something, that's the dog. Uh, our son's dog is here yes. uh, or a dog <laughs> sitting also but anyway, uh, I don't want you to see that song, a siren or something. <laughs> maybe you can't hear it but I can um, but anyway, because the, the police station has been completely destroyed, this is actually a command center that we we're going into that's why they positioned us where we were yeah so yeah, there was several flights downstairs. It's kind of where you would want to be. But look, we've had multiple rocket, I mean, many, many rocket attacks on Jerusalem over the last two weeks. And we just have, you know, what's called in Hebrew, a mamad, a mamad. That's that's the hardened room with a steel door. It's one of our bedrooms, our guest room, and, and we can stay in there. But, you know, our field staff, the humanitarian relief staff, they don't go quite that close as I did, but they're not in armored vehicle they right. don't have jackets. we should buy some by the way um, I never thought of that before and probably some helmets too but I will say it's amazing I the courage of our team like we've told them like you don't have to do this hmm. they're like no we're doing this yeah whether you make a sign or a waiver or not I don't really care I'm, we're doing <laughs> this we have volunteers they're right. saying I will do it we're not we ask them to be wise as serpents right. and innocent as doves. Like we don't want to send them into harm's way. And yet our, our, our partners are in harm's way. Exactly. Like, we have to, th- th- If you're in a bomb shelter for 14 days with your children, with your yeah. babies, and they don't have enough diapers, that's yeah. a disaster. That's a disaster. Like, yeah. I mean, you could probably go all that time crunched up. Without toothpaste, but you shouldn't and you don't want to because you have friends and neighbors and family. Like, like, what about (laughs) enough water? Right. What about water for purifiers? Right. What about headlamps just so that you can see, not to mention food and other supplies, hygiene supplies? Like, that's what the Josh Fund is delivering. And so, and they don't get the benefit of armored cars and you're going with, you know, a former ambassador. but. Our teams are so brave. I, uh, yeah. I'm so
1: grateful. Well, we're grateful. We are grateful. All of us at the Joshua Fund. Those of us that that live in other countries, in the UK, and the US. You know, we are we are daily in contact with our team there, and and, uh, and those we know and love who are are putting their lives at risk for those that uh, to serve those whose lives are at risk. Yeah. I mean, it's one thing. It's one thing to we get to drive. Out. We get to choose. They're still there. Yeah, we get to choose to go there too. They they have no choice. People who live in, in towns like Ashkelon and Sidorot and, and some of the other villages, they, we've shared their stories before, you know, in, in prior rocket attacks and things like that. It's it's a very real uh, daily thing to to wake up in the morning and go, oh, you know, will today be a rocket attack on my apartment building? Will today be a day when I lose a friend or a family member? Or perhaps is this the day that I meet my maker? Is this the yeah. day that my my own... Reality comes to terms with that. And I'll
0: add, Carl, I'll add that, you know, our family already knows people that that have died, that have been wounded, that have lost their homes. The government is evacuating people from the southern border Mm -hmm. uh, near Gaza, but they're also evacuating now uh, uh, more than 40 villages along the northern border, fearing that, I mean, because we're already getting attacked by Hezbollah, not like as bad as it could be, not like in the Beirut protocol where it's, Apocalyptic, like in my novel, but, but it's bad, and we're concerned that it could get worse. So the Israeli government is taking precautions and moving people out. But the Joshua Fund and other ministries that were that we fund, they're also helping to relocate people. In the Joshua Fund department right now is you know. a family whose husband, the father, had to go off to the front. Yes. And they had no place to be, and they had to get out of harm's way. So yeah. and that's happening. All over. Oh, so, um, yeah. yeah, I think that video shows like a personal version of what other people are going through yeah. all, the all the time and and why the Joshua Fund work is so important. Yes, yeah. it's also important. All Israel News and this podcast sure. and, and the, the Rosa report, report to show people, to educate people. But then people are like, OK, well, what do I do to help? And, yeah. you know, I'm so grateful for how much people are helping the Joshua. Fund. so we saw I mean, we went into homes with blood soaks floors. Yeah. Um we saw cars that had been blown to smithereens or riddled with bullets. Like we saw the places where these atrocities happened yeah. not just in strobe but in a place called Ofakim. We got briefings from the top security people in those towns.
1: Yeah. But there was some good news. Well, we're we're going to take it we're going to come back to the good news in a second because you know what God is always at work. He's always at work even in the in the worst of our circumstances. God is is doing what he very much intends to do to bring people to know him and to understand his his protection and salvation so we're going to come back and talk about one such story at least at least from our perspective it rings of the supernatural and it rings of, of something uh, truly remarkable uh, but we're gonna take a quick break right now joel
0: you're fearfully and wonderfully made god looks at your heart not your gene size Inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.
1: Our verse of the day today is found in Psalm 91, verses 1 to 3. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. Our prayer requests today are, number one, to pray for God's protection over Israel and that the peace of God will reign over the Middle East. And second, to pray for the people who have suffered trauma and violence, that they will be healed and encouraged. Well, Joel, we're back. And um, the story you told uh, about the rocket attack is is so chilling and it's so real and it's so current. But there's other things that are happening Right now, and 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 on the same uh, trip to the south, you you had a uh, you had another experience, and I'd love for our listeners to hear that uh, experience that you brought.
0: Yeah, well, when I said yes to going on this trip with uh, former Israeli ambassador to the United Nations, Danny Danone, I thought we were only seeing places where these Hamas terrorist atrocities were going to happen, which I felt I needed to see for myself to be a credible witness. It's like you know I've been to Auschwitz. I needed to see that for myself. But this is like Auschwitz in real time. I I I said to you on a different podcast, like Hamas doesn't want a two state solution with Israel and a Palestinian state. Hamas wants a final solution. Their original charter in 1987 says we want to wipe out all the Jews and eradicate, annihilate the state of Israel and everybody in it. So they have a genocidal objective. But it turns out that. Ambassador Danone and the organizers of the trip didn't only want to show us atrocities. They wanted to show us one of the very few stories of an Israeli couple being rescued from Hamas terrorists rather than being riddled with bullets and killed or taken into Gaza as hostages. So let me set the stage. They took us inside the very house where an Israeli couple, a retired couple in their 60s, I think, were held hostage for almost 20 hours by five Hamas terrorists. Mm. You know, we entered the house and it is, I mean, it is riddled with bullets. You can see one wall is blackened by a hand grenade that went off. All the windows are shattered. All the furniture is turned over. There is blood on the floors. But in this case, it's the blood of the terrorists, not that couple. Not only did we see it and get to walk through the house, and I show a little bit on all Israel news, but on Thursday night, Lord willing, we're going to show this in more detail on the uh, the Rosenberg report, and we can put a link in to that as well so people can see it themselves. Sure. But here's the thing. As they're telling the story, so the mayor of that town is, and, and, and a couple of advisors are, are telling us the story of what happened. But then it comes from upstairs, coming downstairs into the living room, pockmarked with bullet holes. Is the son of this couple who himself is a policeman? He had been at a different house and got a call from his mother around seven in the morning saying, Hey, I think I'm hearing gunfire really close. He said, No, mom, that's probably on the other side. We're probably, you know, in, in some anti terrorist operation. So, no, it is close, son, and it is getting closer. And so he, you know, sort of got on his radio and, and sure enough, He he suddenly found out that terrorists had taken over or were taking over the town. So what happens? He puts on his nine millimeter pistol, suits up and starts heading in to fight terrorists. And then he hears over the radio that his house is surrounded and there's terrorists inside. So he goes to the house and he's one of the well, he's one of the first people. There are a few people there. uh, Police officers. More are coming. But he's trying to negotiate, shouting into the house, saying, hey, 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 you know, we'll give you free passage back to Gaza or whatever. But for some reason, and we'll talk about the reason in a moment, for some reason, these five Hamas terrorists who had slaughtered everybody in the neighborhood, almost everybody in the neighborhood, and, you know, were trained by the same people who were just killing instantly or taking hostages, you know, why? I actually asked this young man, he's like maybe 30, so he's young for me. I asked him, why do you think these terrorists were willing to talk? They brought in an Arab Israeli police officer to speak Arabic to them. The mother, meanwhile, is binding up the wounds of the terrorists who were bleeding. They'd been shot. She's offering them cookies and coffee. Later, she offers to make dinner for them, and they're accepting it. And she's trying, she tells us later, she's trying to buy time knowing that the SWAT team has to get there, but there's so many other things going on and so many terrorists. You had just to get to that house. I mean, there were gun battles going on all around. It wasn't like an isolated situation and you just are dealing. There's gunfights everywhere. He's telling us now she's an extraordinary woman. Like she's now like the biggest hero in Israel. Like everybody knows who this woman is. We'll we'll show some pictures and some links to our article on it. But like, because people are like, how could you stay calm? And make coffee and cookies and what like and dinner how how uh, quick pause
1: but how yeah. appropriate for a jewish mother to provide <laughs> food for people when they were in her home
0: how appropriate that's the secret weapon i think yeah exactly <laughs> and, and tragically it didn't happen in other places but for some reason she had the wherewithal so this thing goes on for almost 20 hours and now at 3 in the morning with these guys completely exhausted and drifty the Israeli special forces SWAT team called Yamam blow through the windows, throw stun grenades, come crashing in. And like a scene out of one of my novels or a movie, shoot and kill all five terrorists. And these two parents were not hurt at all. In fact, as the explosions come, the husband of 41 years to the wife dives on his wife to cover her body uh, because they weren't expecting it. Yeah. I mean, they hoped at some yeah. point it would yeah. come to rescue them. But they didn't know at 3 a.m. in the morning it was going to come. Nobody knew, right? So it's an amazing story. And um, mm. and so the blood soaked on these floors are terrorist blood. Yeah. So I said to them, and I said to the police officer, the son, I said, I mean, your mom is amazing. And why do you think these terrorists who have been killing everybody else, why didn't they take Your parents hostage, or why didn't they kill them? I mean, yeah. And he says, There's only one reason it's a total miracle. Mm. And he said, I believe that God literally came down from heaven to save my parents. Wow. (laughs) And um, this isn't a particularly religious family. Yeah. But he believes that God, you know, was Emmanuel, God with us. Yeah. And uh, it was incredibly emotional for me. And yet he's also telling, you know, as, as he talked more about the mom, somebody said, well, you said it, maybe the secret weapon is a Jewish mom making, making food. And he's like, my mom is amazing. She's, she's, she goes, that's my mama. That's my mama. And uh, yes. we were, at times we were even laughing, but he was dealing still with the stress that he oh didn't know when he arrived, he assumed that his, he would be seeing bodies yeah. of his parents. Of course, And then of course, when the special forces came in, There's no guarantee when you've got a rescue operation and you've got five Hamas terrorists that um, it's going to come out well, right? It just takes an instant. Yeah. I mean, even a stray bullet. One other thing about the mother, which is really amazing, at one point, the son is like poking his head in to the door to try to talk to the terrorists because they brought the mother down because she's a diabetic and she needed her insulin and it was on the first floor in the kitchen. And she's Mm -hmm. like, I'm going to die. I mean, could you just, could I just give myself insulin? Could we just, and the guy said, yes, but he comes down the stairs and the son is watching, right? And the guy has the mother around the neck and he pulls the pin of a live grenade and puts it next to her head. OK, so this guy can't take a shot, right. even if he's the best marksman. First, he doesn't want to right. kill his mother. It's a dead man. Trigger. But also the, mm-hmm. the, then the, the grenade will drop to the ground and everyone will die. Yeah. But while this is happening, she puts up her hand on her face, but like, in a very strange way. Now, the terrorist isn't watching her doing this. He's he's looking for the first instant that this police officer might raise his weapon and then they'll, he'll blow himself and her to kingdom come. So she's doing this, and he realizes there's five terrorists in the house. There was no angle to have known that.
1: Wow, wow, wow.
0: This was a huge piece of intelligence. Then after knowing that, he goes to, like, a command center that they put in another house across the street, and he lays out for the commander of the SWAT team, (laughs) don't come in from this side because that's a brick wall. But over here, like, and that's where this piece of furniture is. Like, Like, the team knew that house. Perfectly. Inside and out because that son was trying to save his parents. Right. Carl, part of the grief that we're going through is you don't know when it's gonna yeah. rear up in, on you. We've Lynn Linda's experienced this, our team is experiencing this. Mm-hmm. Like you're I'm telling a success story right now. Yeah. But they're but it's taking it's it's taking me over. Yeah. I um
1: yeah.
0: But well this guy said listen, I mean this didn't happen anywhere else in Israel. It happened in his house, and he's like, "This is God. This is a miracle. Like yeah. God literally came to my house and saved my parents." And yeah. um, we need to pray well, that, of we, course, that he would, they would all come to know the Lord personally. But yeah. wow, to wow. be in that house—like it's—I I could have reported that just by hearing news clips, but sure. it's amazing. I want to take people inside the epicenter. I want people to yeah. hear, you know, as much as possible, firsthand stories, accounts. Sure. But I'd never expected to hear a good story that day. Well, you you've
1: encouraged our hearts with that good story, and the the fact that the son said it was a miracle of God, and not not ascribe it to a miracle of military planning or a miracle of fortune of coincidence or you know, but somebody who could look at the circumstances as dire as they are, and recognize that even in the midst of that tragic moment, God was moving. He was moving through love. Isn't it interesting that love? The love of a son for a mother, of a mother for strangers yeah, <laughs> and terrorists. The father, protect the, father, the yeah, protector. Father, the protector. It's a story of love. It's a story of yeah. God's presence in love and God's perhaps, you know, we're 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 reluctant to use the term miracle in our lives, but when you look around the it's the totally region, beautiful. miracles are happening every day, and we shouldn't be we shouldn't be shy to say God is moving. The Lion of Judah is moving. And um Wow, Joel, yeah, and and it's love
0: I, I, up against I, sheer hatred. And one other thing, and, and this may be something we need to explore more in depth in a in a future podcast, but the passage of Scripture that I, I keep studying in my quiet times, I just can't get away from it all the last few days since I was there, is First Samuel chapter 30. I won't exposit it, but let me just say it quickly. This is the story of David. He's not yet king. Mm -hmm. But God has sent him at this point about 600 mighty men. He's training them into a a fighting force. Like they're depressed. They're distressed. They're in debt. Like this is the ragtag of the country. But they they know that he's on the run from King Saul who wants to assassinate him. And they all come to him and he trains them into a fighting force. Amazing. And David's gift of leadership was off the charts. Amazing. And his courage. But he's given a town – they take up residence in a town called Ziklag. Mm-hmm. Ziklag is located right between Israel and Gaza. <laughs> okay. And so then Israel and the mighty men go off to battle against one of Israel's enemies. But when they come home from a distance, they can see that Ziklag has been burned to the ground. Mm-hmm. And when they get there, all of their wives, their children, the elderly uh, men that were infirm, everybody in that town has been taken hostage. Wow by the Amalekites. 1 Samuel 30 describes that they wept, David and his men wept until they couldn't weep anymore. But then they had to go try to rescue their women and children and, these, and the men and the elderly. And it says David strengthened himself in the Lord. And then it says he and David inquired of the Lord, should I go after them? And the Lord's like, Absolutely. I mm. will give you success. And you know, I'm paraphrasing, but go, go look it up. I hope people will read it in their yeah. own private times because what happens is David and his team, th- those men, they, they they catch up to the, the bandits, the I mean, bandits, the terrorists, the bloodthirsty lunatics. They defeat them and they get every single hostage back. Wow. And I think this needs to be our prayer. Yes, it's possible that Hamas will kill the 199 yeah. people that didn't get to have a success story yet. And that they'll all be killed. Maybe. But let's not be cynics. Let's believe. Let's pray. Yes. James tells us you have not because you ask not. Yes. We're certainly not asking with impure motives. Yeah. I'm praying that the Lord will do a set of miracles yes. and get all 199 Israelis back safely. Yes. Maybe that will be a brilliant intelligence and a, and commando raids. But yes. maybe it's that God will put a fog over the eyes of Hamas or or sounds of such terror that they flee yeah. and Israel comes in and doesn't even have to fight like I don't know <laughs> I'm not going to ask God how to do it yeah let us pray for these hostages every single one of them yeah. are terrified i to be in the hands of a Hamas terrorist inside gaza yeah it's, it's just got to be one of the most terrifying yeah. things you could possibly go through, and you can almost guarantee that most of those people don't know the Lord yeah. personally.
1: Well, Joel, uh, I'll I tell you what—I I, my heart is so moved by what you've shared—and and unfortunately, we have to—we got to we gotta end our podcast at this point because of some other commitments we we know you have. But uh, I want—I want to I just tell our listeners as well—that's why what Joel just shared is one of our partners is calling us to pray uh, by name for all of the prisoners that are held right now, the, that the terrorists are holding. And and so if you have the opportunity, uh, go online and get those, get the list of all of those 199 and to pray for them by name, pray that God would deliver them, pray that they would be comforted in the midst of all of this. And I think that's Let's a- Let's
0: get that link and yeah, we'll put it we'll uh, that in the show notes.
1: For sure. Yeah. And also just to thank you, Joel, uh, to highlight one of the biggest things that the Joshua Fund is committed to over the long term, which is to bring uh, healing, into the hearts and minds of, of so many who've been traumatized by this violence. I mean, this is a nation at war and a nation at war puts those feelings in a box for a while, but but eventually, and we know this from our own experience nationally and people know it in their personal experiences, you need to bring those feelings out. They need to be processed and, and it's gonna require a lot of trauma healing for the people uh, who are, are so impacted by this. And uh, that's the work of the Joshua Fund over the long haul. We'll be here for the long haul, as you know, Joel, uh, not just doing this on a short-term basis to provide the things that we are now, which is important, but to be there for the long haul for them. So thank you, Joel. Thank you for reminding us of what God is capable of doing uh, and how his hand of protection and and his hand of righteousness is both at work at the same time in this terrible situation. So thanks again. Um, And to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast Uh, If you'd like to learn more about the Joshua Fund and our Rapid Response Fund and uh, various other things that we're doing over the long term to to bring healing and uh, restoration uh, into the midst of this crisis, you can visit our website at joshuafund.com, and you can learn all about what God is doing and what we're doing with our partners in the Middle East to bless Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. And as always, if you've heard anything on this show that you want more information on, you can check out our show notes. For anything you heard on the podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter. Feeling stressed? Let's take better care of you. I'm Bonnie Gray, the host of Breathe, the Stress Less Podcast. Subscribe at lifeaudio.com.